I'm Jason Lewis. I'm Flora Gladwin. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a group of concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways that each of us can make a difference. If you're a regular listener to the podcast and value what you get from us, consider joining our community of monthly supporters. You can feel good knowing you're helping empower people to make a difference on climate. And if you're already a regular donor, thank you. We truly appreciate your support. Additionally, for those listeners out there who've recently taken action to help the climate, have ideas for new topics, or have questions for us, we want to hear from you. Drop us a note on our website or on our socials. Yeah, thanks, Flora. We've all wasted food at some point. The uh, forgotten leftovers, the ingredient for recipe that we didn't use, or you know those bananas that seem- seemingly turned brown overnight. At the same time, none of us wants to waste food. Perhaps it's a subconscious awareness of the resources that went into growing it. Yeah, look, the reality is that food waste is a big problem. And there are millions of people that do go hungry around the world annually. And agricultural expansion is a major factor in deforestation. So food waste is in itself then a major contributing factor to climate change. So on today's episode, we'd like to talk about food waste and the way that we can help solve that problem. But before we dig in today, let's talk about this week's reason for hope. Yeah, so I feel like we got a good one this week. The EU countries have just agreed to tighter emission limits for heavy-duty vehicles. So that includes like, you know, buses, trucks, garbage trucks. And I was reading that currently uh, those emissions represent about 6% of the block. And these new rules will require a 90% reduction in those emissions by, by 2040 with an interim target of roughly 50% by 2030 to 2034. So kind of cutting them in half um, in the 2030s and then reaching 90% by 2040. Ironically, I guess Germany was a bit of a holdout, um, yeah. <laughs> but by and large, definitely a positive development. I think like Germany is quite concerned about its manufacturing base and the fact that it is geared up to build diesel engines right now. But, you know, the beauty is that they can so, sort of similar to what we saw in the in the wind industry in the early 2000s, where a lot of those people came over from those automotive manufacturing jobs in like 2008 and ended up working in the renewable energy industry instead, building gearboxes and generators for the Danish wind turbine industry. Um, so hopefully we can see that similar transition happen in the heavy vehicle industry as they move from diesel to full battery electric vehicles. With that, let's get to today's guest. Anne-Marie Bonneau is an award-winning cookbook author, speaker, and blogger. Through her various platforms, she shows people reducing waste not only benefits the planet, but also satisfies their taste buds, improves their well-being, and boosts their bank accounts. In addition to being an expert on food waste, Anne-Marie has been plastic-free since 2011, after learning about plastic's devastating impacts on our oceans and their inhabitants. Anne-Marie, welcome to Climate Optimist. Thanks, Jason. So uh, we'll start you off with a question we do all our guests. Okay. When it comes to efforts to address climate change, Uh, What makes you hopeful? Well, there are at least a couple of things. For one, we have the solutions to solve it. We have the tools. The problem is 
policy. So a few months ago, I read in Bill McKibben's newsletter that worldwide, we are installing one gigawatt worth of energy every day through solar panels. And so that's about the same as one nuclear reactor. And that's every day. So that was pretty astonishing when I read that. And then just all of the all of the awareness now and all of the people working on this. There's so many people who care and who are trying to fix this. So that gives me a lot of hope. I I do think the sort of collective community, if you will, that's that's engaged in this and it's the fact that it just continues to grow um, definitely makes me hopeful as well. So I can I can relate to that. Well, let's kick off our discussion of, of food waste and maybe start kind of big picture. Um, how much and sort of what type of greenhouse gas emissions are linked to food waste? So when food goes to waste and ends up in landfill, it's compacted tightly, it's cut off of oxygen, and anaerobic bacteria break it down and they release methane gas. Worldwide, the emissions account for between 8 and 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So it's not an insignificant number. It's more than aviation. So it's a huge number. Well, just to get a sense, I mean, how much food do we actually waste in the U.S.? And how does that compare to other countries around the world? Well, we do everything bigger here. So (laughs) worldwide, about a third of the food we produce goes uneaten. In the U.S., it's closer to 40%. I think the number one item in landfill by weight is food. So it's a huge problem. And meanwhile, depending on the the study you look at, let's be conservative. About one in six Americans, I believe, faces food insecurity. You know, so it's, you know, we have these two related crises. So it sounds like in the U.S., maybe not surprising, we waste more food. There is still a lot of food wasted globally. Maybe another way I'd kind of like to look at it, if you could help us, is sort of from farm to kind of kitchen table, where does most of that food waste actually occur, you know, and and why? Well, another thing about the U.S. and and other developed countries, the waste occurs closer to the consumer end, whereas in developing countries, it occurs closer to the farm. You know, in a developing country, they may, may not have the refrigeration or Maybe there are problems with transporting, whereas here it's more on the consumer end. So it gets wasted all along, you know, from the farm to the grocery store and restaurants to homes. But if you put that all in a pie, the biggest slice of the pie would be homes. So households throw out the most food. But the good news is we can eat that. Yeah, so I guess that's encouraging, the fact that we have... It sounds like here in the developing world, at least a lot of control over our food waste as sort of individual consumers. Yeah, I think so. I, I think a lot of it comes down to just education and awareness. Nobody wants to waste food. Nobody likes to waste food. It's uh, it's safe to talk about at Thanksgiving. It's a safe subject to, to discuss because nobody is for it. <laughs> So I guess that's super helpful to kind of understand where food goes bad along the way. Can you talk about kind of food waste within the kitchen? You know, what what sort of contributes most to it? So Best Buy dates, confusion over Best Buy dates is a big contributor. 
people think that those dates mean the food expires and it instantly goes bad. And so many people right. throw out food that's perfectly edible. Those dates are just stamped on there by the food manufacturers to indicate when the food will be at its peak quality. It doesn't mean that it will be bad. So if you have something like a tub of yogurt, especially because yogurt is fermented milk, so it lasts longer than milk. If that's not open and it's past its best by date or best before date, open it up, give it a sniff, look at it, taste a little bit. If it looks fine, smells fine, tastes fine, it should be fine. Gotcha. So interesting. So those dates aren't aren't something that's regulated. It's And to your point, it sounds like it's not like it really is just there to indicate sort of when it's kind of freshest, but you may actually have a fair amount of time after that date when the food is still good to eat. Right. And some of those dates are for the grocers. So they know when to rotate the food out. Gotcha. And I suspect then that they end up with food waste on their end too, because of those dates. Oh, so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the other thing I guess maybe not talking about here, but we should, as it relates to food waste is, is sort of the, the packaging problem that goes along with it. Wondering if you kind of have, you know, thoughts on sort of the, the, plastic waste problem that goes along with the the food waste problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So I actually signed up for a webinar today, but unfortunately had to miss it <laughs> on a new law here in California. It's called SB 54 and it is designed to address packaging waste and uh, utensils and things like that. And um, half of, the trash in California is food packaging, so 50%. And it's terrible for the environment. It's also not great for us. I don't think there is any sort of benign single-use food packaging out there. Even the, the cardboard stuff, it looks green and it probably says on it that it's compostable. Well, it's probably treated with PFAS because... They make paper grease-proof and waterproof. So those cardboard takeout containers, they may look great, probably treated with PFAS, and then that will contaminate the compost. Plastic, well, you don't want your hot food coming into contact with plastic, and plastic containers shed microplastics. So it's a huge problem in so many different ways. But California is trying to address it. We have this, uh, so this law, it is an extended producer responsibility law, EPR, and it puts the onus on cleanup onto the producers rather than con the consumers, which is the way it should be. So obviously good to see progress on the, on the food packaging front. Um, and I guess getting back to the food waste topic, are there, you know, cities or states, uh, counties that are doing a good job of minimizing their food waste and and what can we learn from them? Well, South Korea does not send very much food to landfill, which is great. And when I when I first read about this, I remember the article I read said something like South Korea does not produce any food waste. But that's not actually true. They recycle their food waste. The food still goes uneaten, but hardly any of, it, any of it goes to landfill. Instead, it's fed to animals or they use it to produce biogas or use it for fertilizer. So 
that is a great program because we don't want that food in landfill. But ideally, we would everybody would reduce the amount of food they're wasting. And I don't know of anywhere that's doing a great job on that. There are lots of programs to address the food waste after the fact. Uh, in California, we have uh, SB 1383, which is mandatory composting. And so everybody, businesses, organizations, residences, we have to separate food waste, food scraps from regular waste. And then um, that will be turned into compost, or I guess it depends on your city. That law also requires businesses to donate edible food. So that's great because we want people to eat that food. We don't want to just deal with it after it goes bad. So it, it sounds like there nobody's doing this necessarily well. There are some places where they're doing a good job of making use of the food waste stream, but it sounds like there's still a lot of opportunity to just prevent it from becoming waste in the first place. In other words, you know, eating it while it's still good. Maybe that's a good kind of transition. Obviously, I want to ask you too about solutions. What do you see as potential solutions for for addressing food waste? Well, I think if the rest of the country adopts a law similar to ours here in California, make, forcing people to you know divert their food waste from the regular waste and making businesses donate their edible food, that donating the edible food can make a big a big dent. And I think education, just a lot of education. Nobody, nobody wants to waste food. It happens. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not really taught how to cook or any sort of basic life skills. I think if we started teaching kids that type of thing, and they can teach their parents. You obviously have a, a cookbook focused, you know, zero waste chef. I'm wondering, you know, if you might be able to share kind of on the education side, what, what people, if they're listening to this and they cook at home, what, what they could do to, you know, try to mitigate their food waste? Well, I think the best thing you can do is to look at the food you have on hand and cook something with that. So most of us, when we're taught to cook, if we were taught to cook, we're told, look for an appetizing recipe jot down all of the ingredients, go to the store, buy the ingredients, bring them home, cook the dish, put the leftovers and all the little leftover bits of food, little, like the leftover ingredients, put that all in the fridge. And if you do that a few times a week, then you're bound to throw some food out. So instead, look at what you have on hand and then you know, see, all right, I have some onions, I have some squash, uh, I have some leftover chicken. You know, what, what can you make with that? You probably have all the ingredients you need in your kitchen right now to make at least something. So I think if you think that way, you're, you'll absolutely slash the amount of food that you're throwing out and you'll save a fortune. The average family of four, depending on, on the study, so the EPA puts this number at 1500. The average family of four spends $1500 a year on food they don't eat. Wow. But that that number's from 2010. I saw another number from Refed and uh, they study food waste. Their whole thing is food waste. They put the number at 2700 over 2700. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's so much money. And also I think it's more fun to cook that way. 
because it makes you more creative. You think, oh, what can I make with this? And you get this really great feeling of satisfaction knowing that you've made this tasty meal with just whatever's on hand. And you can always make soup. You only need, you know, if I have an onion and some random vegetables, hopefully some tomato paste, I can make a batch of yummy soup. But I'll also throw in any leftover cooked grains or leftover cooked protein, little splash of vinegar adds a little something to, to savory dishes. So it sounds like, you know, to your point, $1,500 or $2,700 if it's more recent is a huge opportunity for, you know, savings. Um, and I confess I'm guilty of the pick out the recipe and, and go and shop. Do you have any tips for people who are, you know, hearing this and want to move to your model of sort of opening the fridge, but feeling confident enough to, to make something out of it? Yeah, yeah. Learn some, learn some really versatile dishes. So soup is one. Frittata is great. You can put random vegetables in that. Pizza, you don't have to top it with tomato sauce. You could also make pesto and you can make pesto out of all kind, all sorts of things. Oh, and if you have lots of vegetables on hand, the easiest way to deal with those, or one of the easiest ways to deal with those before they go bad is to cut them into bite-sized pieces, toss them in olive oil, sprinkle on a little bit of salt and pepper, maybe some herbs or garlic, and roast them. And then, okay. uh, so I, when I roast my vegetables, I like to do each vegetable on a different tray because they roast at different times. Some are done sooner, some are done later. And roasting concentrates the flavor. And then you can eat them as is, or you can put them in, I don't know what, pita. You can put them in a grain bowl. And they're, they're just delicious. There's a lot you can do with roasted vegetables. So that's a good way to deal with a glut of vegetables. For fruit, you can make fruit crumble or make jam. You know, just a quick jam. Like you don't have to get out the canning equipment. Um, just just okay. cook down the fruit and add some sugar. So so learn some really simple recipes and uh, that are versatile that you can substitute ingredients for. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. So it sounds like you can still have those maybe, you know, favorite recipes that you picked out and you want to do. Oh, sure, but then sure. as long as you have a couple of versatile, versatile recipes, then you can substitute ingredients. Yeah, so like maybe... Every weekend you make one of these cleared out dishes. And then once you've used all that up, then go shopping. Right. And then you can get whatever your ingredients for your favorite, your eggplant parmesan or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have to deny yourself your favorite dishes. Just think about it differently. So a little bit of planning. You don't have to get out the spreadsheet and plan every meal for a month unless you like to do it that way, but leave some empty spaces for going out for dinner or an impromptu lunches at the office or whatever. But make sure you have some of those dishes in there that, that will clear things out. Well, that makes sense. I will, I'll have to try it out myself. Another thing I'm thinking about as we're talking about this is, is food storage and you know, kind of how that fits into the mix of food waste. I don't know if you have any tips there for folks that are looking to keep their food longer. I do. Uh, one simple thing to do is store food in glass. People are always amazed, or some people are amazed, when they look in my fridge and they see all these glass jars. I, I love glass. 
uh, I can see what I have on hand and I can see leftovers when I look right. in there and then I'll remember to eat them. If you, if you bring home leftovers, say you get takeout or you bring home, you know, leftovers from a restaurant in one of their opaque containers and you put it in the fridge, you're, you're more likely to forget it's there until it's too late. So storing food in glass and then freezing stuff. You can freeze all kinds of food and you don't have to freeze it for six months. I mean, you can if you want to, but I made a big pot of doll recently, um, potato, potato cauliflower doll. It was so yummy. I made a giant vat of it and we weren't going to finish it all off. So I put some in a couple of mason jars. I use wide mouth mason jars and I leave space at the top so that they don't break. Can freeze all kinds of stuff. So that's a really quick and easy way to prevent food from going to waste. Often I'll look at something, I'll go, oh, oh, we didn't eat this. I don't think <laughs> we're going to eat it. And I just throw it in the freezer. And then um, some things do well on the counter in a jar of water. So like asparagus. Asparagus lasts a really long time. If you just put it in a jar of water on the counter and it looks nice. Basil also. Okay. So those are, those are a few storage tips. Oh, I like it. So it sounds like make sure your containers are, you know, glass and clear so you don't risk forgetting about that that good leftover or what have you. And then yeah, it sounds like yeah. the freezer is kind of a another option to extend the life of, you know, food you've made or you haven't made yet and you want to use down the road. So that gives folks, you know, something to think about in their own kitchens, wondering, you know, kind of big picture, what are your thoughts on how we kind of move forward solutions to food waste and food packaging for that matter? Well, I think if we, if we each do our part at home, that, that will help. And, you know, there's no downside to it. Yeah, do what we can at home. And then I think if you want to affect change, try on the local level. I mean, it's still good to try at the state and federal, but I, I really think you can you can make change happen. Yeah, that's a great get point. Your, get your friends together. Here in, uh, in Palo Alto, uh, which is close to me, before the pandemic, there was a Girl Scout troop who was working on ban. They were working on a, a straw ban, you know, asking people to refuse straws and plastic utensils and things. And they, they went to city council with this idea and the city council adopted it. And they, they implemented this really progressive ordinance that bans single-use plastic. And it started with girl, like nine-year-olds. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, Emery, I, I like the... I like both the call to action, you know, personally in our own kitchens, but then getting involved locally. I, I think you're right. It's obviously easier to affect change right in your backyard than, than it is at a, at a state or federal level. Um, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show and, and creating awareness of both the problem and the potential solutions that are out there. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for having me on, Jason. This was fun. So what did you think about the uh, interview with Anne-Marie? 
Yeah, I, I really loved this episode. Um, I thought it was incredibly practical the whole time that I was listening through the interview. I was taking notes for things that I can use in my own life. Um, I particularly loved the idea of having a clear it out meal every week. I have a friend in the house that I live in who cooks like that, you know, soup, rice, and then whatever vegetables are about to go bad. And I always love eating what she prepares. I think it's a really great thing to incorporate into weekly meal planning. Yeah, I liked uh, the clear out recipes too. I thought that was a good one. You know, my personal favorite clear out, at least for old fruit, is uh, is fruit smoothies. Uh, Thomas, what about you? I, I definitely like a point about finding what you've got and working with that. But I think there are a few other things that we can take into account when we look at how much food we waste. One of them was freezing. When you do have leftovers and you're not quite sure when you're going to go about eating them again, sometimes the best thing to do is just part things out so that they're in individual containers and they can last months. In fact, I've got tomatoes that I've had in my freezer for years that I will end up processing <laughs> this year and mixing in with soup. But like freezers are absolutely amazing. And you know, if you buy an efficient one that has good thick wall insulation and runs on a hydrocarbon refrigerant, then they, they use very, very little power and subsequently have tiny emissions compared to the emissions associated with making that food again that would otherwise go to waste. And I've noticed the same thing with refrigerators. Uh, I used to run my refrigerator at four degrees like everybody does, four degrees Celsius, which is a standard here. But I now run my refrigerator at one degree Celsius, like around one, one and a half degrees. So just above freezing point. So it doesn't damage fruit or vegetables that are in it, but it does make food last a lot longer. Yeah, I think the the storage piece is definitely an important one. And, you know, she talked about it. It sounds like she uses, uh, you know, glass jars, but whatever the container, being able to put stuff in the in the freezer. And I guess to your point, you know, keeping your fridge a little cooler all helps with preserving that food longer. Look, the, the other thing I'm a, a big fan of is, and we've got to realize, especially in the far northern and far southern latitudes, that it's sort of a bit of a feast or famine when it comes to a lot of fruiting plants throughout the year. And so being able to preserve what's around you and not let it go to waste, I think is really important. And and it's not as hard as you think or as people make out. I, I do a massive amount of preserving of fruit. Like basically all I'm doing is heat treating the fruit and putting it in bottles. We, we, we call it bottling here. I think you guys in the States call it uh, canning. And this stuff lasts for years and it takes no refrigeration um, once you have it. And it just gives you like that ability to access amazing tasting fruit all year round that has really low carbon emissions. Now that we've sort of discussed what we can do at a personal level, at a high level, like a global level, what is it that you think could potentially improve um, the rate of food wastage that we see in the world currently? You know, I think food waste is is a complicated problem to solve. You've got all these different areas in, you know, from the production side all the way to consumption where food is being wasted. So you don't have like a single sort of silver bullet to address the problem. But I think there are a number of areas where you know, taking action could have real benefit. The first is, you know, and Anne-Marie talked about this a little bit, enabling surplus food donations. So, you know, as businesses, stores um, have food that, you know, might otherwise spoil, being able to donate that to, to folks who are in need. And, you know, France and Italy, it sounds like it made a little progress there requiring markets to to donate unsold food. 
maybe the perhaps the biggest category is really you know creating more awareness among consumers and educating consumers on how to make a difference you know in their kitchen so that food doesn't go to waste in in the US at least that's where the bulk of our food waste occurs about 40% is in the kitchen so you know getting better programs in place to educate folks about what they can do to address food waste is going to be really key and then you know when you do end up with food waste making sure that it doesn't go to the landfill we know that that's really bad from a you know climate perspective and otherwise so either you know, diverting it to animal feed or having it go to, to composting, you know, having food scraps be composted and having that access to oxygen actually cuts, you know, emissions from 40 to 80%. So definitely important to make sure that food doesn't get into the landfill. And then I think finally, it's going to be really important in the developing world to, you know, expand access to cold storage from, from the farm to the distribution center to the store. And, you know, there's a lot of food that goes bad there. Um, because there isn't cold storage available where, you know, you look at more developed countries and that's, that's not an issue. So yeah, lots of things that we need to be looking at to solve this problem. But what about you, Thomas? What did you find? Yeah, look, I, I saw some suggestions by the World Research Institute that, you know, we should be making mechanization and, and more equipment and better farm equipment available to developing nations and to farmers. But I see that as a bit of a double-edged sword. And the reason is that the moment you give farmers equipment to be able to more effectively harvest a crop or more quickly harvest a crop, um, what happens is it makes farming on what would otherwise be non-profitable land now possible. And so what ends up happening is we we expand our, our agricultural domain into that that was otherwise reserved for the natural environment. Um, so that has its own problems, aka deforestation. Um, and a lot of this mechanized equipment also has significant environmental emissions in its own, um, be that through uh, the direct diesel emissions from driving that equipment or um, from the access to the fossil fuel-based fertilizers that are then subsequently used on that land. So I, I think the focus should be on the food that we have right now, that we've grown. Let's reduce spoilage on that. Let's make sure that we can get that to market, um, but make sure that we have good environmental regulations on the continued expansion of agriculture. And we really need to get the brakes on that hard. Yeah. I mean, we know that we have a growing world. We know there's going to be more pressure on our food system regardless. Um, and yeah, being able to reduce food waste, but in conjunction with that, you know, limit the expansion or continued expansion of agriculture is, is going to be important. So, you know, all this sort of leads to the question of, you know, how can we be part of the solution? And this week we've got a couple items where, you know, you can dive in. The first is, you know, like the legislation that Amory talked about in California, you know, getting aware of sort of what's happening out there in, on the legislative sphere and being able to advocate for policies that, you know, help reduce food waste. You know, you can also consider a donation to organizations that are working in that space and doing good work, whether that's the World Wildlife Fund or refed, um, who are really on kind of the front lines of trying to address the problem. And I, I think at a personal level, maybe try preserving some fruit. Um, you know, you, you don't have to have all the fancy falavagola jars and things like that. Just some old jam jars or tomato paste jars you can use. Put some fruit in them, you know, 
boil them up on the stove and and see how you go. So we'll, we'll put some links on our website to how you can learn how to do this. Yeah, great point. And if you're, you know, maybe you start even smaller if you want by investing in that chest freezer and, and starting to <laughs> store your summer berries or, you know, whatever your favorite foods are. And if, you know, you're looking for extra tips, check out uh, Anne-Marie's cookbook, Zero Waste Chef. We'll have a link to it on our website. Well, that's, uh, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't taken a moment, sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website. And if you're already a subscriber, show your friends where to sign up. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimus Podcast.